Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Boldrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we reviewed what asset classes may be good to invest in this current situation that we are living through. And in today's episode, we are going to be covering what are DSTs, And how do they differ from partnerships and LLCs and other types of syndications? We are interviewing Jason Salmon. He is the Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Real Estate Analytics at K Properties and Investments. And he has over 20 years of commercial real estate and financial advisory experience. Here we go. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to learn more about DSTs, but why don't we start first with a brief intro on what you have been up to? Well, thanks for having me, Steph. My name is Jason Salmon. I'm Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Real Estate Analytics at K Properties and Investments, and our company specializes in Delaware Statutory Trust real estate and also 1031 exchanges. So that's what we've been doing over the past uh, decade or so, the way we're set up is that we have relationships with quite a handful of very large asset managers of commercial real estate of all various asset classes, multifamily, industrial, medical office, healthcare related, triple net real estate and otherwise. And Due to the way that we're set up and our relationships, these companies go out and they buy fairly large real estate deals, and then they come to us. We have a due diligence process, and then through that, may or may not be able to offer those securitized real estate deals to our clients, and then beyond that, it's kind of a situational basis, and if it's in the Delaware Statutory Trust or DST format, they happen to be 1031 exchange friendly, for lack of a better way of putting it. Before we jump into what DST is exactly, why don't we start with the basics? What is private equity real estate? Private equity real estate is kind of an all-encompassing statement to describe how that real estate is owned. And in this case, it means that the equity or the ownership of it is by private in our case, high net worth investors. So it's a way for high net worth investors to own pieces of very, very large real estate deals. And so you could have, you know, there's different forms of that. There could be private equity firms who have that money and they're buying the real estate on behalf of their investors. In our case, it's the deal itself and the offering and our clients have the opportunity to become investors in these very large real estate deal. So it's, due, it's a form of ownership of the real estate enabling, in our case, private high net worth investors own 
pieces of very large commercial real estate deals. And when you say high net worth, does that mean accredited investors or yet another level up? That's exactly right. So in some cases, it could be qualified investors, but in most cases, and specifically with the DSTs, it's for accredited investors and accredited entities. Thank you. So let's jump into DST. What is DST and how is it different than syndications and REITs? Probably most upfront would be the 1031 eligibility. REITs are not eligible for 1031 exchange straight away. You know, there's always a way through different channels to eventually get there, but apples to apples, one cannot 1031 exchange directly into a REIT. And the DST, through what's called Revenue Ruling 2004-86, is on the books, and it is a way for people to 1031 exchange in. And additionally, when that real estate is sold, they have the opportunity to do another 1031 exchange out moving forward. So, you know, in and of itself, a DST is a syndication, but it's a hybrid because it's really specialized sort of syndication whereby it is 1031 eligible. And in many cases, syndications of different sorts, whether it be, you know, partnerships or LLCs or any, any which way in that format would not be a 1031 vehicle for fractional partial ownership. Those entities themselves could do a 1031, but if it's made up of private fractional ownership, it doesn't fly. From a 1031 exchange standpoint, I think that's the linchpin of everything there. Notwithstanding, from a direct cash investment standpoint, they all could work in, in similar ways. Uh, notwithstanding, REIT could be public or private. You know, they take on different complexions that way. A syndication in and of itself could be put together, could be friends and family, whereas the DSTs, at least the uh, DST space that, that we dwell in, would have multiple layers of due diligence on various levels, specifically the real estate, the deal itself, and then the asset manager or sponsor firm running the deal just to be able to have that deal see the light of day if it passes that due diligence. So just a little bit different format. But I again, going back to the beginning, it, I, I would contend that the 1031 eligibility, eligibility is the biggest differentiator. That's really interesting. I did not know that most syndications could not 1031, at least the accredited investors themselves could not 1031 into another property. That's very important to know because it has significant well, tax all, implications. Well, they could all go together, theoretically, if it was a partnership uh, or an LLC. And I, I'm not able to give tax nor legal advice. One should always consult their own CPA and attorney to determine whether or not they have the ability to do that. But in and of themselves, the partnerships and LLCs would be able to do that. But as far as being comprised of multiple partial or fractional ownership, that's where it wouldn't pencil. Why don't more people know about DSTs? I have not really heard a ton of people talking about them. I mean, one is, again, the space that it's in. I mean, it is, by industry reports, a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar annual industry, at least by last year's report and certainly the preceding years. But it is only available for accredited investors, so that kind of narrows the field a little bit. It also is something that has come to the fore as a result of that revenue ruling, which was in 2004. So there could be a lot of maybe legacy 
understanding of it. And for me, 2004 is not that long ago, uh, although we've certainly <laughs> seen a cycle or two. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's just a matter of adoption. Uh, who knows about it? And for us, you know, we see quite a volume of business on an annual basis. So people are transacting. They, you know, they are learning about it. But that's part of the conversations that I have with people on a near daily basis as to, well, you know, why have I not heard about this before? You know, why aren't more people doing it? Wish I had the answer. It means I could help more people, you know, transactionally. But through education, I've helped CPAs for the past several years uh, with continuing education credit, learn about it, uh, and they're continuing to evolve their own practices to understand how the DFTs can be used as a tool, especially for 1031 exchange. And if you're an accredited investor and you're among a certain set, friends talk and it's always refreshing when the phone rings and somebody says, hey, my friend or my colleague mentioned the DSTs and I would like to learn a little more about it. I can't always say that that would convert into somebody that I could help, but I'm always pleased to be able to educate people about it. But you're right. At least from where I sit, I think it would be wonderful if more people learned about it. Hopefully, part of the reason that, you know, we're here today having this discussion is so that people can get a little bit of more understanding of it, or at least know that it exists, and then do their own homework through their channels. People are always welcome to get in touch with me, and I can kind of walk them through everything. Are there any drawbacks of DSTs versus a standard LLC syndication, for example? I'm just looking for a reason why people would not have a DST when they do syndications. Again, just going to the 1031 eligibility, I think that's a great feature, but I can't negate the fact that on any private placement or any real estate investment, uh, when it comes to this sort of thing, there's always risk, and there are always risks. There's no guarantees of returns. There's no guarantees of return of, of capital. There's always going to be risks, but that comes down to part of the job is to understand what these are all about hopefully try to mitigate that. One of the great features about Delaware Statutory Trust is that they are accessible without getting too deep into it because minimums do vary, but it is a fairly accessible area by most owners of investment real estate, so it offers the opportunity to diversify in a 1031 exchange and also be passive. So with that, I would say to get more on point with where you were going with your question, I think the biggest hurdle to get over for people is that most clients might not have heard, most of my clients or most investors in this might not have heard about DSTs before. And these are people that for decades in many cases, or it could be legacy real estate from one generation to the next, have done what they've always done and they've gotten what they've always gotten and that's what they know. They've either done hands-on, collected rents, chased tenants around, fixed faucets, whatever it is, or dealt with being an asset manager on a commercial level and kind of negotiating leases and extensions and all that stuff. And when it comes to the Delaware Statutory Trust, I think, again, all those things, the ability to be passive, the ability to, to diversify, the ability for it to be a 1031 exchange eligible vehicle structurally are all things that I think are attractive to investors. With that being said, the other side of the coin is that it's passive. So the people that are accustomed to being hands-on 
it just may not be for them because this is something where you do have to cede control to others. And these, in the case of the firms that we work with, you know, these are asset managers with, in many cases, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of commercial real estate assets in their management. And frankly, more cases, billions and billions of dollars of assets in their management. So that's not, that doesn't mean just because that's what they have, that that's an automatic sign that nothing can go wrong. Because again, there's always risk factors. But the ability to diversify is one of those features. But again, the lack of control and the leap of faith there is to understand what they're trying to accomplish through the ownership of that real estate, what their exit strategy is, why they bought what they did, location, where they bought it, what are the factors weighing in on that, and ultimately, it's not that different than any other investment. I mean, to be sure, you know, the name of the game in many cases would be to buy low and sell high, collect income along the way in a tax-advantaged way, because it is applied, you know, you would get those pass-throughs and Different entities work differently, but in many cases, Schedule E on your taxes. So you're getting the same tax treatment as one would on their hands-on real estate, but for the fact that they do have to be comfortable with somebody else doing it on their behalf. The risks are just with any kind of investment, be it a DST or a syndication or your own real estate investment that you do and operate yourself. If I were an operator, what is the big difference between a, a DST and other forms of syndications that are set up typically? Well, well I mean, if you're an asset man, you're talking about an asset manager yes. in the space. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, there's a pretty high barrier to entry. It's you know, again, needing to require third-party due diligence just to have a seat at the table is something that is an investment that they would have to consider. I don't really deal too much with that on a day-to-day -day because that's not where I dwell. We as a firm are, are not the ones that are going out and buying the real estate. And by the way, I should mention that they don't take people's money and then go get the real estate in most cases. They've already bought it with their money. So that's something important to note. And our firm, the way we're set up is because of our relationships with each of these firms, when they bring a real estate deal to us, we would screen these deals based on, you know, how we feel about them. But our loyalty ultimately is to the client themselves. We don't touch their money, and we're not really pointing them into what goes into. We're working collaboratively with them to determine which deal or deals make sense for them. As far as an asset manager that wants to come into the space, in times past, I might have fielded maybe two calls a week with firms that are interested in the space. And again, you have to have really a back office set up. You have to have the ability to pay rents, make distributions, have a back office for closing. You have to put together, you know, a private placement memorandum, which is the ruling document for the deal itself. That deal's got to go through multiple processes just to get on a platform. Because just because somebody can go out and put together a Delaware statutory trust doesn't mean that that Delaware statutory trust is going to be offered by us we would have to get what's called a selling agreement. And once that selling agreement is in place, it means that some levels of due diligence have already been done by the asset manager having bought the real estate and putting together the securitized real estate deal before even coming to a firm like ours. So 
Anybody can do that, but there's a lot of commitment to the space just to come into it to feel confident with being able to go and do DFTs going forward. A lot of times people are looking for track record. They're looking for assets in their management. They're looking for them to have a back office aspect in place. You know, in some cases, compliance people. Also, then we were talking about those third-party reports. So there's a lot of disclosure when it comes to that. Again, just from a regulatory standpoint by the governing bodies of the securities industry. And so those are the things that an asset manager would have to be really comfortable with in order to come into this space that we're in every day. Can you talk about how the asset managers don't get any return? They pass everything to the investors? There is a cost of doing business generally, but in the Delaware statutory trust structure on the back end, unlike most many syndications, there's no waterfall. Basically, they can't profit share at the back end. There is a disposition fee that is built in. Those are varying degrees. I wouldn't be able to cite it on this call. It would be deal specific, but it's there. And it's akin to closing costs like anything else, but it wouldn't be like kind of your typical two and 20 model or some kind of promote on the back end because structurally in the DST, they cannot profit share. So if a $100 million deal was sold for $120 million after four or five years, if that was a net number, net of closing cost and all the associated closing fees, then the investors would indeed get their pro rata share of those proceeds. That's kind of the bottom line for how DFTs are structured. That's pretty impressive from an investor's perspective. Yeah, I mean, it just happens to be the structure of the way it's set up. So, you know, there's certain framework that these asset managers must follow. It's kind of a compliance thing all around, and that's kind of the name of the game. They would hope that they would have good volume of business, that they would have results that people would be happy and comfortable with, and when things are sold, then people would hopefully come back and do it all over again. This is all very helpful. Is there anything else that our listeners should know? The things that we've been talking about where it's a matter of education, knowing about the Delaware Statutory Trust, knowing that they're 1031 vehicles, knowing that we as a firm have a lot of direct cash investors as well, and it's a really specialized thing. We act as specialists in this space, and again, it's just because it's such a, if you will, very specific part of commercial real estate ownership. No, I think you've asked excellent questions about it. Hopefully, people can get educated and some exposure to this asset class or at least form of real estate ownership, various asset classes within that, property sectors. They're more than welcome to get in touch with me to dig down about the specifics of their situation, if applicable, and to do their homework on it. Speaking of that, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is my email address, Jason, J-A-S-O-N at KPI1031.com. And then maybe from there, we can figure out how to chat for a couple minutes on a call just to, you know, dig a little deeper and just see where things go. But Jason at KPI1031.com. Jason, thank you so much for sharing what DSTs are and how investors can benefit. I really appreciate your time. Steph, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, I appreciate your time and everybody that is taking the time to listen to our chat. 
One of the important things that you should know about DSTs is that once the DST offering is closed, there can be no future contributions to the DST by either the current investors or new investors. As always, do your own homework and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at montecarlorei.com and I would like to thank our latest reviewer, Ridiculous Patronus One. He said, fantastic, informative, and educational. If you are in the market or are an inspiring agent, it's a must add, entertaining and detailed. Looking forward to more. Well, thank you so much for your review. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And I will see you guys next time.